Hi, everyone. It's great seeing all of you. Hope you're having a great Sunday so far. Uh, well, if you're joining us today as uh, a new student or a new young adult, uh, we warmly welcome you. I uh, hope you're having a great time so far. Uh, my name is Aiden. I'm the pastor of this church. Uh, we hope that you get to know our church and community uh, as you worship with us. But again, so far, I hope you're having a great uh, time of worship uh, with us. Uh, today, uh, we are back in the Gospel of Mark after a, a little bit of hiatus. Uh, just to remind us uh, the goal for uh, this sermon series, uh, which is to understand who Jesus is and, and to go deeper in our relationship with him. So may we have that in mind uh, as, our, as our goal as we uh, study today's passage as well as for the remainder of the series. With that said, uh, today's passage is found in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 30. Uh, I'll read it for us, and we'll pray, and we'll jump right into today's message. Okay, Mark 7, 24 through 30. This is God's living word. And from there, he, Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet, he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. That is God's word. Uh, please bow your heads with me and let us uh, pray together and go to uh, God together in his word. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you uh, with uh, so many different struggles, uh, baggage, uh, issues and problems, stress, pain of every kind, as well as uh, the joys and um, good things that we get to enjoy in our lives by your hand. God, apart from you, where shall we go in our lives? Apart from the rock of our salvation, where will we turn? So Lord, would you anchor our hearts to your word and your word alone at this hour, at this time, so that 
we will know how to live and live the fullest. May you prepare our hearts by your Holy Spirit, for we know that our hearts can be very disobedient uh, to our own will also. It is only when you, your spirit, um, come in and stir up our hearts that we get to um, heed and also obey and bear fruit of your word. And to that end, God, would you use me, uh, help me to simply serve and love uh, these people, this sheep and flock of yours. Help me to simply deliver your word and not add or subtract anything from your word. Help us, God. Build us up as a church. I pray in Jesus, your holy name. Amen. Uh, as usual, uh, three points to help you follow along as we uh, walk through this passage together. And those are Jesus pursues us. Uh, second, Jesus challenges us. And second, uh, or third, Jesus welcomes us. And the title for today's message is Approaching Jesus. As the woman in our story approaches Jesus and that we'll learn how to approach Jesus ourselves through this passage. So let us delve right into the first point, which is Jesus pursues us. Verse 24, Mark says, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. He could not be hidden. The region of Tyre and Sidon uh, is located outside of Israel, the ancient Israel, in the north. Uh, and this was quintessentially Gentile area. So keep that in mind as we will come back to it. And we also see uh, in this verse that Jesus voluntarily, in his own volition, traveled to this region with his, his disciples. And again, we'll see in a moment, but this is a very unconventional move by a Jewish person at the time. So the whole verse so far is very unusual. Just keep that in mind. And we go to verse 26. It says, Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged them uh, to cast the demon out of her daughter. So now Jesus, in this story, uh, is met by a woman whose daughter is suffering from demon possession, and she's asking Jesus to heal her. But please notice here that Mark uh, adds something about her, that he highlights her ethnicity. She is a Gentile, which means a non-Jewish person, and she's specifically Syrophoenician. I mean, Syro, Syria, and Phoenician, you know, Phoenicia. So basically, she is a native of the land in the, the Palestine land. So at this point, you get a clue, perhaps, of what Mark is trying to say to us. That Jesus has intentionally traveled to a Gentile region with the result that he ministers to a Gentile person. And that is 
scandalous. And here's why. Uh, the most prominent sin of uh, Jews at the time, uh, particularly the Pharisees, was the, the ethnocentrism. Uh, meaning that they believed that God uh, would only save and bless Jews and Israelites and judge all other nations, uh, namely the Gentiles. So the Jews saw themselves as superior to the Gentiles, and they did all they could to avoid uh, you know, being with Gentiles, having any contact with them, and they separated themselves from the Gentiles to be, again, superior and of a different class in their mind. But as they're doing that, what the Jews were neglecting was this, that they were forgetting that God never intended to contain his blessings in Israel alone when we read through the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, to be sure, God did choose Israel to be his own people and to be the object of his special love and care. No doubt about that. But the purpose of the choosing was not to spoil the Israelites, not in any way. He chose them to use them as God's instrument to bring salvation to other nations, the Gentiles. So we read in Isaiah 49.6 where Isaiah says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations. The nations there is same word as Gentiles, uh, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So you see very clearly here in this passage that the purpose, the goal of the existence of Israel was to bring salvation outward. But the Jews fail that mission. And we see in our story today that Jesus is doing what Israel has failed to do reaching those who are outside of the promise. So here's the point that I need you to get. That our God is a missionary God. Humanity, including you and I, has fallen away from God and is lost in their sins and is awaiting uh, eternal judgment. But from Genesis to Revelation in the scriptures, God is seen as seeking the humanity to save them in his great mercy. So he chose Israel to carry on that holy task of bringing salvation to all people. And now he has sent his son Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, to bring salvation to the whole world. And what's promising is that even after uh, this period in the book of Mark, God is still pursuing sinners. And what we get from this story so far is that God can save anybody. People of every nation, any tribe and tongue, any background, whether it is ethnic or socioeconomic, no matter how far you may be from God or how grave your sin and mistakes might be, God can 
save you and find you, and he is pursuing after us. Go to the next slide. This is Casey Diaz, uh, who used to be a gang leader uh, in South Los Angeles. Uh, he was a brutal and dangerous man. Uh, he would order uh, his gang members to invade homes, break into cars, and stab and kill rival gang members. And he finally got arrested and you know, was put behind bars for second-degree murder. But even in prison, uh, he would become a leader of gangs there and would participate in murdering fellow inmates. So he was eventually uh, put in a solitary confinement. And at that point, as you can imagine, everybody thought, all the guards of the prison thought he was hopeless. He's impossible to deal with. But there was a woman, apparently, uh, who got to know uh, Diaz, and he, she started praying for him. And then on a random day, Diaz uh, recounts later that he had a very vivid vision in his solitary confinement. And in the vision, he saw Jesus being crucified. And at one point, Jesus would turn to him, and he called him by his name, and he said, I'm doing this for you. At that, you know, Diaz dropped to the floor, and he sensed that he was in the presence of the Almighty. So he started weeping and confessing his sins, uh, especially destroying of lives and families. And afterwards, he started devouring the Bible in prison, and he became a, a completely different person. So apparently, during that time while in prison, you know, he uh, stopped harassing other inmates, but rather he started telling them about Jesus, and he would get actually beat up by his fellow inmates for being Christian. And after uh, he got out of prison, you know, he became a pastor, and he still is, and he started sharing his testimony uh, with you know, other gang members and you know, other people, and he would continue to tell uh, them about Jesus. True story, and very powerful story that you can find online anywhere. Uh, but for me, I've seen stories like this of, of real people. This is one of many stories I've heard where Jesus would pursue after hopeless people like him, and he would bring salvation and transformation and ultimately hope into the hopeless. And that's what Jesus does. And again, the point is that he is still doing that. He is a God who pursues after sinners like you and I. Again, no matter how far you might be, he went as far as Tyre and Sidon. He can go to the ends of the earth to find you and change you. As you hear that right now, you might be addicted to things, whether physically or spiritually. Or, or you might have some wounds from the past, whatever that might be. Or you might be feeling hopeless about your life for whatever reason. But the hope 
I would like to give you right now from this passage so far is that Jesus is reaching out to you. And he is wanting to restore that hope in you and change you. And I can tell you right now that if you're here in this place, in this church right now, and listen to the sermon, that might be God's way of reaching out to you right now and pursuing after you and letting you know that he does love you. You cannot run away from God, ever. So may you hear this sermon right now and not resist the voice of a Savior calling your name. May you repent, whether for the first time or for the hundredth time. He pursues after sinners. Second, Jesus challenges us. So, so far we've seen that Jesus voluntarily goes to the Gentile region with the missional heart of God uh, toward the Gentiles, and he's encountering this Gentile woman. So far, we may expect the, the, you know, the typical happy ending, perhaps, thinking that uh, we would get the typical heartwarming story of you know, Jesus speaking tenderly to the woman and her life being changed. Well, that's not exactly how the story goes. I guess you could call this next point a twist in the story. So we read verse 25 and 27. There it says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. At this point, your jaw should be dropping because Jesus is straight up insulting the woman who is in dire need. Well, there are three items, three terms uh, in the statement that uh, I want to define for you, for you to understand what he's trying to say here. Three things. First, the word children refers to Israel because they were the chosen people of God who had the father and children relationship with God. Second, the word bread refers to the special uh, spiritual blessings from God, uh, especially the message of salvation, namely the gospel that Jesus brings. And thirdly, the word dog. It's a term that Jews frequently used of the Gentiles at the time. Well, if you own a dog, maybe you're thinking that it must be a term of endearment that you know, they're calling the Gentiles you know, cute or something. Uh, never the case. The Jews were treating the Gentile as a second-class citizens, if not trash, by calling them dogs. In fact, you know, calling someone a dog, even today, carries uh, you know, similar insulting, dehumanizing impact in many cultures. So what's happening? Jesus is basically saying that God's blessings, especially salvation, are reserved only for the Jews, and the Gentiles are not worthy enough to receive them. And therefore, Jesus is in a sense saying that, I'm sorry, but I can't help you 
uh, you know, and I can't do anything about your daughter because you are not good enough. Well, before you get infuriated at Jesus and even cancel him, would you please consider what happens in the end, though? Just a few verses later. So we go there. Verses 29 and 30. It says, And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, the demon gone. So he did help her. He did listen to her. He did find her worthy of his help. What happened? Well, when you read a story, especially in the Bible, it's important that we read the narrative as a whole and understand each part of the story in context. So we need to understand uh, his controversial words in the context of what happens before and after those words. So follow with me. Before Jesus said his words, we saw earlier that Jesus was intentionally traveling to the Gentile region to minister to them. And also, if you remember, uh, in the story before today's passage, Jesus made a point about how the heart is not cleansed by what kind of food people eat, but only by their faith in Jesus. What that means is that the Gentiles who eat unclean food and therefore unclean now have access to salvation that Jesus offers. So, so far, there's no way Jesus would be so closed off towards the Gentiles. But what about after? So after these words, um, you know, we just read in, in these two verses, that Jesus does comply with the woman's request and heals the daughter. And then in the subsequent stories, if you read on in the book of Mark, you you will see how open and caring Jesus indeed is towards the Gentiles. So here's what's happening. When Jesus says these harsh words to the woman, he is not simply trying to be mean or insensitively blunt but he seems to have a bigger purpose behind these words. And that purpose seems to be to draw out genuine faith uh, from the woman. In other words, we can say that Jesus is playing a devil's advocate uh, with the woman so that she and we readers can get a clearer picture of the reality that Jesus wants us to see. And the reality, of course, is that the offer of salvation is now extended to the Gentiles. And through this somewhat sarcastic exchange, we get a clearer picture of that, you see. So now, this is definitely not a warrant for uh, us to be mean with our words and hurt others. But what this does mean is that Jesus is displaying wit and wisdom that draw out the right response in a person and in fact helping the person to draw out their genuine faith. For the next slide, uh, here's a gentleman named Simon Cowell. 
Okay, how many of you know him? Okay, okay, all right, just making sure. I mean, I grew up, you know, watching American Idol, and that's how he became so big, and just making sure that there's no generation gap here. So, thank you. Okay, so Simon Cowell, you know, he's now the, one of the judges in America's Got, America's Got Talent, right? Um, along with uh, uh, the other three. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but can't remember right now. Uh, well, you may know that uh, he's quite known and notorious for being somewhat blunt, if not harsh. And I also think that he can be unhealthily mean at times. So when I use him right now, I'm not necessarily endorsing him by you know, using him as my illustration. But there were a few times when I was watching uh, America's Got Talent that I really appreciated what uh, he was doing on the show. One example. There was one time uh, when a contestant had just sung a song. And the audience and you know, the other judges you know, erupted in, in applause. But Simon didn't seem too impressed. So Simon then proceeded to ask the contestant uh, if there's another song that he could sing. Like, impromptu. Fortunately, uh, the contestant did have another song he had prepared. So he went on uh, and, and sang the song. And it was then uh, that, that Simon applauded the performance and, and basically mentioned that the previous song uh, did not quite bring out the best in the contestant, but this song did. And he was so happy for the contestant. And that's basically what's happening in the story. You know, what Jesus does in the story is that he is trying to bring out the best in the woman by pushing her back with the typical Jewish attitude towards the Gentiles. Let me just think about this. I mean, just imagine, what if Jesus didn't do that? What would have happened? Uh, if he just, you know, granted a wish and then, you know, healed the, the woman's daughter and, and that's the end of the story, what would have happened? Probably the woman uh, could have just returned home thinking that, oh, that was easy. <laughs> He's like a genie in a bottle. I can always go to him whenever I need him to do something for me. Then, you know, she would have remained as a spiritual infant, a spoiled child, if you will, who doesn't understand who Jesus really is and who doesn't really understand who she is. But you see, because she was pushed back, even with the harsh words from Jesus, that she could understand and articulate uh, the, the reality that she, you know, being a Gentile and a sinner, you know, did not deserve Jesus doing anything for her. And yet, because Jesus is so merciful, she received those blessings and mercy. Now she knows that everything she owns in her life is a gift. And she is maturing in her faith because of that. She was pushed back, and now she's growing. If she wasn't pushed back, probably not. And to me, there's a huge implication and good point of application here for us. 
have you ever gotten pushed back by Jesus in your life? Meaning, for example, are there any certain teachings of Christianity that uh, perhaps come off as challenging, if not offensive? And if you read through the Bible, to me, I get sometimes surprised that some of the teachings are in the Bible, and you get to wrestle with it, and it it shocked you. It can be offensive. Have Have those things ever pushed you back? Or, in, in more non-theological level, non-doctrinal level, but more realistic uh, sense, you might be facing a situation right now that are so difficult that you're on the brink of getting bitter at God, if not already bitter or even angry. That's another level of pushback, right? God, Jesus, shouldn't, be, shouldn't you be giving me a good life? But you're giving me not a good life, but a difficult life. What is this? A pushback. I mean, there may be a lot of different factors here when it comes to difficult life situations. I'm not claim to, uh, claiming to tell you that this is it. There are many different factors. And I'm really sorry if you are in those situations right now that perhaps you cannot even talk to others about. It's hard. But I'm saying that it may be possible that God is pushing us back in his goodness so that he can bring out the best in us, perhaps. That our understanding of God and ourselves would be sharpened because of the pushback that we would come out of those trials as gold, more mature, more ready to face life struggles for God's glory. And I want to leave you with these two quotes, one from a person, another from the scriptures, to encourage you with. First, uh, Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Think about that. Perhaps if God is a real God, there should be things that we have a hard time understanding and even accepting. And second one, for those of you who might be struggling right now. 1 Peter 1, uh, 6-7. In this, in these struggles, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The life struggles that we go through in our lives, not ever purposeless. They're purposeful in God's economy. Jesus challenges us. Third and last, Jesus welcomes us as we approach him. So lastly, through the story, we got to learn the proper attitude that we are to have when we approach Jesus from the woman. 
So look with me to verse 28. But she answered them, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. We glean two kinds of attitudes in her. First, humility. Second, confidence. First, by humility, I mean that she is accepting for herself the description of being a dog. By this verse that we just read, she's essentially saying to Jesus, you are right, I am a dog. I am a Gentile, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to eat the food of God's blessings, let alone salvation. You are absolutely right, Jesus. I accept that. So when she does that, what's happening is this. She's approaching Jesus, not with the attitude of demand and entitlement, but with the sober realization that the only thing that she deserves is a curse, judgment, and expulsion for for her sins. And Jesus is definitely not obligated to give her what she wants. And if if he does give her what what she wants, that's sheer mercy and grace. And my friends, that's humility. Knowing who we are before God's presence. And when you have this attitude of humility, what's going to happen is this. Your life will be more full. Why? Because you'll be more thankful and you'll be more joyful. You know, instead of having you know, discontentment and complaints because you're not thankful because you think you deserve all the good things in life, you now get to see every little thing in your life as a gift from God that you don't deserve. And you get to see and cherish and enjoy all those little things and start loving life for the first time, perhaps, for what it is. It is a gift. Every moment is a gift from God. And humility builds you up to have that attitude. But second attitude that she teaches us is confidence. Confidence that Jesus will count her to be among his people. That because of someone outside of her, now she gets to hold on to God's good promises. Here, please do not make any mistake when you read this story. Do not think that this woman is illiterate theologically. That's far, far this from the truth. Because we see over and over that she's actually very well versed in Jewish and Christian theology. For example, she's totally following the logic of Jesus when he said the children should be uh, eating first, right? The, The word first is very important because she's referring to uh, uh, the, the pattern of salvation history that Jesus and Paul uh, explained for us in the scriptures. So we go to Romans 1.16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
That's the pattern that God's been working under. That God chose Israel first so that, again, they can be a blessing to the nations. Second Gentiles. There's an order there. There's a pattern there. So you see, this woman knows uh, her theology. She knows her scriptures. She perhaps heard uh, from Jesus' preaching previously in Galilee uh, that when you believe in Jesus, whether you are Jew or Gentile, you know, you will be included uh, in his family. And she knew from the scriptures that God will faithfully reach out to the Gentiles. And guess what? She's a Gentile, so therefore her logic is, I will be included in God's promises. And Jesus should know that. And, and with that conviction, now she's approaching Jesus, you see. So therefore, she's confident. That's why she's able to be so bold in approaching Jesus. Basically, she's reminding Jesus, Jesus, you promised that I'll be included. You promised from the scriptures that I will be receiving the benefits of salvation just as the Jews over there. And her confidence reminds us of Hebrews 4.16, where it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help uh, in times of need. Knowing your theology well gives you confidence and hope as you approach Jesus. And do that with humility, of course. Let me share this story uh, to encapsulate what we've been talking about. And we'll finish. Uh, you know, my wife and I uh, have two young children, and one, uh, the, our older one, uh, is named Seth, and he's turning four uh, very soon. Uh, and, and my wife and I, uh, ever since you know he was young, and especially his, when he started, he started talking and you know functioning, um, we've been working so hard to teach our son the concept of you know asking for things humbly instead of, you know, demanding things. You know, we, you know, constantly reminded him, hey, are you demanding or are you asking humbly? Um, so with that, we also taught him the concept of, you know, consequences, you know, if, if he, you know, makes bad choices. And also the concept of grace. There's a due consequence, but there's also grace too. So we've been teaching him that. And now this one time, uh, him and I were hanging out, and uh, uh, he goes like this. He goes, Dad, can you show me grace and allow me to read one more book before going to sleep? You know, at first, it took me off guard. And I was like, you could just ask without invoking the, the grace clause. But then I thought about it over and over. And I grew to immensely proud of my son for asking me in that way because I realized that he's beginning to get the idea that he's not entitled to get anything in his life. And if he gets anything, he should know that it's an act of grace from God. 
is a gift, is not earned. And at the same time, you know, as we see the, the concept of grace growing in him, I also cherish the reality that you know, my son was not afraid to ask me, right? He was not like shuddering when he was, he was simply asking me, you know, can you show me grace? Uh, it's because he knows that I will always hear him out. He knows that I'm his father, he's my son. He knows that I love him and I'll do whatever is good for him, always. And so that he can boldly ask me whatever he desires with the right attitude and I'll always listen to him and do whatever is best for him. What that means, uh, my friends, is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a beloved son and daughter of God, our Father. You can approach him at any time without any fear of condemnation or shame for asking or having a stupid request. There's no stupid request. He loves hearing any request because that's what a father would do. And, and, and you know that he will always give us what is best for us. He may say no, not because he hates us, but because that's not what's best for us. That's how prayer works. He loves us. We can be bold when we approach him. But again, at the same time, there has to be humility, knowing who we are, not thinking we're entitled, but we are getting all these things from him by his grace alone. And that honors him. That gives him praise, doesn't it? So my prayer for us is this, as we close, that, that we approach Jesus just like the woman did, knowing first that God has been already seeking you and pursuing after you. It wasn't that we're trying to like chase after him. No, he's been seeking us. He's God of grace, God of missions, God of love. And we can boldly and humbly come to him while we also expect some pushback here and there for our good and for his glory. God is so good to you. Let's pray together.